GM. Let's go. Put it in the box. And make it 14 as he gets Anderson looking. Jacob DeGrom ties his career high with 14 strikeouts. Scooter and the big man busts the city in half, and the Mets lead it. A grand slam high off the right field foul pole. He's done it again. Francisco Lindor. That's driven to deep right field, headed toward the wall. That ball is out of here. Jeff McNeil breaks the ice with his 23rd home run of the year. Uh, amazing city. Podcast. Well, Jack, it's been a couple weeks. It's been a few weeks, actually. I think we haven't recorded since Buck Walters press conference, whenever that was. But we're finally here for another episode of The Amazing City. As always, your hosts, Antonio Slater and Jack Ramsey. Make sure to follow the podcast at The Amazing City and follow us at Antonio Slater and at Jack Damian Ramsey. So it's been a while. Jack, how you been? I'm good. I'm good. Back at school. Semester started up. Figuring all that out. Got, got you know, still my job. Figuring all that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, football season's over. Thank God. I think you and I can both sign off on that one. We are finally free from the reins of our atrocious coaching staffs between Joe Judge and his back-to-back QB sneaks from inside the five-yard line. Uh, you're free of, more importantly, Pat Shermer. And Vic Fangio. So we're both having a nice fresh starts when it comes to, to our NFL seasons going into 2022. Yeah. By August, the Broncos will probably have a new head coach, new quarterback, and new ownership. We'll have a new coach. I read somewhere <laughs> the other day the valuation of that team is $4 billion. Of the Broncos? Damn. Big market NFL team with a history of success, just not recent success. I mean, but, I don't know how many times I need to say if the Broncos have a damn QB, they waltz into the playoffs. And oh, they are yeah. a dangerous team. Oh, yeah. And if they had someone who would call jet sweeps for Jerry Judy, would actually get him the ball and not just have him go stand in the flat. But I will never, hopefully, not have to complain about that again for a while. Yeah, I don't think we'll have to worry about Pat Schumer being uh, anywhere in the NFL for a little bit. That's This is like three straight fou- failed stints. So... That should be the kiss of death, and he should be sent off to college. Um, but we need to talk about the Mets. We finally have enough stuff to talk about. Let's talk. Let's first go into the coaching staff changes. They've made, the Mets have made several coaching staff hires. They filled out their first third base coaches with Wayne Kirby and Joey Cora. They poached Eric Chavez from or Chavez, whoever you want to pronounce his name, from the Yankees. And this is not. This is not a, a Yankees versus Mets thing. This is not a, oh, the Mets are t- – it's it, plain and simple. The only reason why it's it was such a big deal for, like, those two days besides the fact that we're in the middle of a lockout is the fact that I, I think it's so huge because he, he was just announced as their assistant hitting coach two weeks prior, and they had a whole press conference about his hiring. At, like, Aaron Boone raved about the guy and how – his role was so much more than just assistant hitting coach. He was going to be the Swiss army knife. who was going to have a bunch of different roles and see over a whole lot of uh, categories and departments of the Yankees. And now two weeks later, he's the hitting coach for the New York Mets. I think I said in our last episode that they need to hire a guy that you could very easily see be groomed to the next manager. That could be the guy right there. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's possible. Um, 
clearly, you know, there's a lot of respect for Chavez around the game. There's a, you know, I think we're kind of moving past, you know, we've been moving past it for a while, but I think we're starting to really get past that era of major league hitting coaches where it's, oh, hey, this guy hit 300 and hit 30 homers a couple of times. Like he'd make a great hitting coach. You know, I think we're kind of moving fully past like the Chili Davis and the Barry Bonds as, as hitting coaches of the world, moving more into guys with specialized hitting techniques and philosophies mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of organizational hitting approaches. You know, for years, you, you, you hear, you know, your organizational approaches, oh, get on base more, draw your walks or hit more home runs, hit for average. Like, sure, that's great. Yeah. It's not really an approach or a philosophy. I definitely think, you know, at the top, you know, the hitting approach that Chavez, Howard, and Quattlebaum decide to come up with, you know, you, it's hard not to trust it. You know, because Chavez is clearly qualified and clearly knows what he's talking about. Just Even just listening to, if you know nothing about the guy, mm-hmm. just listening to the way Boone talked about him, hear just how the media talks about him, how guys he's played with before talk about him. You know, it's clear he has what it's going to take to be able to succeed in this role. And then you're throwing him in with the player development coordinator, Ryan Howard, and then, you know, hitting coordinator, Hugh Quattlebaum. You know, for all intents and purposes, you know, we did start to kind of see results on, you know, Quattlebaum's methods and all that in the back end of the year. It was, you know, for a surface level, it was limit strikeouts, more hard contact, you know, because he had this whole chili ball thing of hit the ball on the ground and good things happen, which is great yeah. when you're 13 and you're playing Little League. <laughs> and, you know, you have a kid who should be playing, playing tuba, playing third base, but it's not going to work. So, you know, we're kind of starting to move past that and move into, like, these organizations. What is that even supposed to mean? That might have been a little foul. Baseball's not for everyone. So the quicker you learn that, the better. He just said a kid that's supposed to be playing tuba, playing third base. <laughs> oh man oh wow but yeah <laughs> i mean hey I mean, philosophy of hey chief don't swing at shit in the dirt thanks boss i'll try next time sorry i struck out you didn't tell right. me no but again like seriously though i do think we're kind of moving into a better day and age in terms of organizational hitting philosophies you know i think the important thing to note is that, you know, hitting coaches, especially nowadays with the, um, you know, the communication and the amount of work they do with front offices, it trickles. The trickle-down effect is through every level of the, of the minors. And, you know, you'll see it's more with the Mets next year, seeing that they're going to have, you know, a, um, an analyst with every team to present them numbers, data, and what the front office finds to help bring them more success and help them develop better. So I think the Chavez hire is big on a lot of fronts. Um, you know, even Joey Cora, although the base running for the Pirates was not great last year, especially at third base. You know, yeah, they got, you know, really they had more bad sentence than anyone in the league. You know, they were bottom of the league in terms of runners thrown out at the plate and stuff like that. But Joey Cora helped a lot of guys take big steps forward defensively. You know, so I definitely think maybe that's kind of more replacing the Gary DeSarcina type, if you will. Right. You know, because got a lot of credit and deservedly so for the work he did with the Mets defense last year. Wayne Kirby, no real qualms. I mean, you knew coming to the coming into it, you were gonna get some of Buck's buddies on his staff. Nothing sure. qualified. You know, Kirby's a great baseball mind. 
you know, but you, you know, it wasn't just like he was going to come in and agree to a job and, you know, Billy Epler and Ben Zosmer were going to handpick his staff. Sure. So, you know, I think overall, nothing really to be too upset about so far. You know, I think all that the main pieces that really leaves you with would be a bullpen coach, a bench coach, assistant pitching and hitting coaches, and a quality control coach if they choose to have one. Yeah, which kind of transitions into our next thing of bench coach. And we've heard, we've been hearing a lot of names, we've been hearing a lot of possibilities, we've been hearing a lot of rumors about it, how it's supposed to be this attention-grabbing hire that's going to, it's, it's well, going to get a lot. To be fair, Disha Thorsar did say that Chavez was initially going to be hired to be the bench coach, and that was supposed okay. to be the attention-grabbing hire. Okay. But 11th hour, they decided hitting coach is a better spot for him. Interesting. Okay. So but what I do think is interesting is so we're like, we're seeing names get denied permission, which is I think a little unusual for a process like this, you know, whether it be, you know, granted Pickler in Cincinnati, you know, just took his name out of the cycle, but you know, Andrew Bailey, the pitching coach for the giants is denied permission. You have um, Flaherty denied permission. Mm-hmm. You know, it's granted, you know, I believe he's on San Diego staff, if I remember correctly. And, you know, Bob Melvin's not the worst manager in baseball to learn under. Right. You know, and as we learned with the GM proceedings, you know, sometimes teams denying permission is more of a formality to carry out the requests of the permissee. But, you know, I think it's kind of obvious that they're really geared towards a younger analytical mind, you know, maybe even a former player, if that fits the bill. I think that's what it's going to be definitely someone who at least had some major league experience uh i just kind of reading the tea leaves i think just kind of how the bench coach role has gone in the last i'd say five or so years that's always seemed to be like the former player it's either a former player young or someone who is like on the late 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 end of their career who has just wants one more ride to potentially get a ring or maybe a an interim job if 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 the manager doesn't work out or if it's a first time manager, like what, um, Oh my God, who did the, who did the Mets hire for Mickey? Oh, the guy from the Reds. He spent a lot of time there. Thank you. Riggleman. Yeah. Some, something to that effect. Um, so it's really only one of those two sides of the spectrum when it comes to bench coach recently. So let's kind of go into who would be your home run hire if we're going bench coach. Wow. Um, I mean, I don't know if I can really give a name just because if you asked me before, you know, I don't think I would have guessed Andrew Bailey, Ryan Flaherty, Mm -hmm. or Jeff Pickler. Yeah, the last two weren't really on my radar at all. Bailey was, but. But I definitely think, you know, you're going to, you should be looking at teams that have taken serious analytical strides in the past three, four, five years. You know, San Francisco being at the top of that group. It's really kind of tough, in my opinion, to give a name, you know, because like we said, there's not, you know, aside from Andrew Bailey, I don't think either of us really had Jeff Pickler on our radar or um, Ryan Flaherty, you know, so it's, I think you're just going to see them looking more so towards younger guys on teams that have taken large steps forward analytically the past handful of years. Um, you know, the Giants being top of that list, they've taken massive strides under uh, ZD. 
and that regime out there, Scott Harris and all that, you know, you've seen Milwaukee take some big strides on their Stearns. Um, you know, and the, you're always going to the Dodgers and the Rays, and for the most part, the Red Sox, especially under Heim Bloom. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see them kind of move somewhere around there. You know, if he wasn't already a bench coach, Will Venable would have made a lot of sense for them. Um, I just think you're going to try and – you're going to see them try and grab, you know, their own Joe spot. You know, yeah. someone that can take the analytics that a smart forward-thinking front office gives you and bridge that to an old-school veteran manager. Yeah. Like, when I think of bench coach hires, I thought of three names. Two are just absolute not possibilities, but would just be super fun as hell. And the other one is like a this, – this one could work. I don't even know if he has a role in baseball right now. But the two ones, and, and they're, both, they're both stupid as hell. The first one is Andy Chavez. Don't know why. That one just sounds fun. He's a coach in the Mets system right now. Right. And the other one, I'm pretty sure he doesn't have a, whole, a role in baseball, and I don't think he would leave whatever role he's in because he does a whole lot with, like, gambling and stuff like that. Paul LaDuca would just be like a lot of fun and firing the, in the dugout. So that just sounds like fun. And then the other one that I thought of and could be an actual possibility down the road at some point, I would love to see Russell Martin try to get a shot in the big leagues as, as some sort of coach or manager in some capacity. He's someone who I'm pretty sure in his last year with Toronto, he even managed the last couple of games when the coach was fired. So he was acting like a, a player manager for a little bit. So that's a name that I kind of thought of that could have some yeah could I, have I don't like to it but i don't know I don't russell martin that. russell martin could be could be fun i mean i definitely think you know there's a lot of guys that you think when you like when you hear them talk the way they carry themselves you can tell they just kind of have it i was thinking about it earlier today i think james mccann might end up being that type of guy where he's clearly a smart guy and understands the game understands the things around him right no and yeah it, it is always catchers but like even last year you know when they were starting to slump now, who was the first one to be able to, to start holding people accountable? It was James McCann. Right. And you the know, guy that's so been here for, for like, all of 15 minutes. Right. And it's, but you know, you can tell he has that headspace, you know? Absolutely. He has that mental capacity. And, you yeah. know, it's, I think more and more people are finally starting to realize that being a good player does not equate to being a good, being able to be a good coach someday. You know, if that were what it took, you know, Barry Bonds would still be the hitting coach in Miami. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he'd but be the it manager. It takes eons more than that. Yeah, it, take, it takes eons more than that. Absolutely. So, I think – I don't think it's a terrible idea. You know, what was interesting to me is I was doing a little research. Uh, his name is slipping my mind right now. My laptop's not in front of me. But the Rays have a full-time analytics coach on their staff. You know, and I don't know how exclusive of a role that is or where that kind of would rank in terms of hierarchy. You know, for if they view him kind of in the same light that they view Quartaro, that could be tricky. Jonathan J. Money Ehrlichman is the full-time analytics coach. I think the Mets are going to have to find a guy who can kind of bridge the numbers to Showalter. I mean, he can stand there and say he understands numbers all he wants. But, you know, the Mets have a guy running their 
analytics department who turned the Oscars yeah. analytical. Like <laughs> Ben Zosmer's numbers are going to look like absolute, you know, French to you and I. For sure. I don't know. If, I'm, I'm assuming you don't speak French. I going sure don't. Limb there. But Ben Zosmer, Ben Zosmer's numbers are going to look like a foreign language to you and I. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, and I'm pretty caught up with numbers and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 19, I'm in college, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm tech savvy. I'm in the modern world. And not the Buck Showalter isn't, but it's still a different animal. Yeah. I think there, you know, it's so, fairly safe to say that you're a little bit more tech savvy than Buck Showalter. I hope so. <laughs> the world has failed me if I'm not. No offense, Buck. <laughs> But, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting, you know, like, like Martino said, they're going to wait to make all these things official. You know, they're keeping tight lips on it until they kind of have their full staff arranged. Right. You know, so you're still missing, you know, three to four names, depending on how you look at it. You know, you definitely have the three obvious ones, or well, between four and five. You know, you have the bullpen, your bullpen coach, your assistant hitting, hitting and pitching coach, and your bench coach. I would yep. assume they choose to have another quality control coach, you know, whether that's a spot that they just give, you know, it's like a Russell, just to appease Joe Walter, mm-hmm. you know, and these not not that there's that there can't be too many cooks in the kitchen, but I don't think one extra one kills you. No, no, I don't think so either. And just based on how, I mean, we're, we're just talking about analytics. Surprisingly, I think one of one of the more analytical minds in the Mets organization right now might actually be Steve Cohen. I mean, you look at how he's talked about his all his his stuff with um, point seventy two, and he said all that stuff is based on numbers, trends, and analytics. So, if getting a a, a full time analytics coach or a quality c- control coach, whatever title they want to give that, that wouldn't surprise me given how how trusting of the numbers Steve Cohen is. Right. No, absolutely, and I definitely do think that there is that uh, there is definitely how do I want to put this there is an impotence on the numbers which is obvious you know it's clear that that is a direction Steve Cohen wants the Mets to go in as if it wasn't just clear by his day job right but I don't I do think it clearly is going to go down to every level it isn't just hey here are the numbers do what you want with that. You know, there is a way for Steve Cohen to get the Mets more immersed in analytics and become a more forward-thinking organization. He's going to get them there. Mm-hmm. I don't have much doubts about that. So if that includes, you know, an extra quality, you know, an extra coach on the bench, you have a quality control coach, another guy to help bridge the gap between numbers and, you know, an old-school manager, then sure. Because, you know, I think we can all agree, numbers do not – numbers themselves don't translate – to a baseball field for sure it's a usage it's a usage and the implications of them mm-hmm. so i think if it takes you, you know if it takes a bench coach a quality control coach and both your base coaches and you know chavez and hefner to get the numbers to be put on the field in a way that helps the mets win as many games as possible i don't think there's any doubt in my mind that steve cohen will go down that route oh for sure like you that's know, one thing that gotta go and He's been very dedicated to trying to make this team win, which I appreciate so greatly as as a diehard fan. I'm sure <laughs> I sh- I'm sure you share that sentiment as well, and so many other people 
share the same thoughts. Like Steve Cohen actually cares. He actually cares about this team and he actually cares about winning. And you've seen that just based on what he's done since he's gotten here, trading for Lindor, giving him the, the contract extension. However, may you want to think about the McCann signing and, and the Trevor May signing and getting Carrasco in the deal as well. And all the additions that he's made this offseason alone, you can very easily see this guy cares about winning. He wants to win. He wants to bring multiple titles to Queens. No, I mean, there's no doubt in my, I don't think there should be a doubt in anyone's mind. Yeah. That he is doing the, what he feels right to try and bring home a trophy in what I personally think is a wide open national league. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I, we'll get into this in a month or in a, a month and a half or so when we start to do outlooks on the season. Hopefully. Hopefully. But, you know, there is no, you know, there's no guarantee that the Giants are going to run out and be another 100 win team. The National League Central is not great. It's yeah. plain and simple. Yeah. You know, the Cardinals needed a miracle to get there and they got it and then got bounced on their asses. Mm-hmm. You know, the Brewers are good. I'll give them that. The Cubs aren't. Pirates aren't. Yeah. The Reds aren't. You know, and even like more so in the East, you know, pre lockout, the Braves did nothing. The Phillies have two outfielders. <laughs> Granted, one of them's an MVP. Yeah. Let's be honest. The, the Phillies have one outfielder. Yeah. The Phillies have an out, I'll, I'll give it an out, meet in the middle outfielder and a half. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. But even like, you know, the Marlins made their moves, but are they ready to stop being the Marlins? I mean, how, how many years did the Mets make moves, but then we we're all like, yeah, but I mean, it's still the Mets. Right. And that ended up being the prevailing factor because it was still the Mets. <laughs> it was still the Mets. And this is a perfect segue as we talk about looking forward to the 2022 season. Fangraphs put out their projections. I can read a couple of them to you. I can break it down. We're going to start with the arms. They project. This is in no order. This is just how they're listed on Fangraphs. Scherzer, 4.3 F4. Walker, a 1.6, Carrasco, 2.1, DeGrom, 5.3, McGill, 1.2, Peterson, 0.8. Their bullpen, which they currently categorize as Diaz, Diaz, Lugo, May, Castro, Smith, Williams, Reed being Jake Reed. I thought you forgot about him, didn't you? And Sean Reed fully categorized them as a 4.7 total F4. McCann and Nito, they project to combine for 1.1. Alonzo, 4.5. Their second base position, which they chalk up to Cano, Escobar, McNeil, two and a half. Lindor himself, 5.3. That's a good one. Escobar and Davis over at third, 2.8. Canna, even two in left field. Marte, and even three up the middle. McNeil and Nemo, and even four in the corners. And to give you a little bit more interesting, interesting notes, they also give comparisons for seasons. And projections, they give number projections for different stats as well. The Mets' leading home run hitter, they project to be Pete Alonso at 41, followed by Eduardo Escobar at 27. Francisco Lindor at 25. No one else gets over 20. They only project Nimmo, based on his injury history, to have 413 plate appearances. So his numbers are a little low, but that's, I mean, it's, it's 342 at-bats. Pitching-wise, they also – or sorry, comparison-wise, some interesting ones. They throw a Justin Morneau 
on Pete Alonzo's season. That dude was a stud for a long time. I think that's I that's he falls in the category of really good players that you totally forgot were really good. <laughs> like I'm sure there's going to be some people who might listen to this and think Justin Morneau, especially towards the latter end of his career, was just like, okay, he was kind of there. Had some nice moments, but he was just kind of there. But then you look into his numbers, like, holy shit, this guy was really freaking Those good. Those twins teams that had a prime Kadire, Morneau, Mauer, Torrey Hunter. Was he around those teams? Yeah, he, he had those were some good teams. All right, with Johan pitching. there. Oh. oh, so a lot of these numbers they just kind of base off your recent, your last year's workload. So innings right. aren't always going to be right there. You know, they only project the ground to make 22 starts. I'm pretty sure they only made like 18 last year, something like that. So they project the ground at a 228 ERA, <laughs> Scherzer at a 308. Has it a two seven six? Joey Lucchese. They project him to have a fine year when he comes back from Tommy John, mm-hmm. pushing to a three nine ERA. You'll take Pushing that. Your, uh, yeah, you will. <laughs> Tyler McGill. They're not huge believers. A four three four. Tywan Walker. A four four three. Eh, who Carlos Carrasco. Carlos Carrasco at a four zero. I think I'd take that. Sign up for that. Uh, here's an interesting one just because he's still a free agent. Brad Hand at a 3-8 ERA over 60 innings with 68 strikeouts. I think I would take that. Man, I, I just, just think after what we saw from, from him last year, I think I'd rather the Mets sign me to pitch lefty than have Brad Hand as an, as an additional lefty. Fair, fair enough. Like I, I'd much rather go after Chafin and Sean Doolittle than getting Brad Hand back in Queens. Personally, I, think I also throw this one out there just because he performed well for the Mets and it's still out there. Heath Hembry at a four four ERA over fifty one innings. You're a big Hembry guy. I am. So let, let me give you some comparison. Yeah. Just because some of these are just kind of like, oh. Seth Lugo, his next year, they compare it to Dennis Eckersley. <laughs> Maybe not a prime act. Listen, it, it doesn't matter. If you're going to compare it to that, you're good. <laughs> yes, they give his 1.5 F war. The comparison for that one is a young Rob Dibble in his early years in Cincinnati. Interesting. These are where they get interesting. Max Scherzer, they compare to Kurt Schilling. And Jacob DeGrom's number one comparison by fan graphs, Tom Seaver. Ooh, that has to be on purpose. They, have, they, they know what they're doing there. I mean, I feel like they do. But, you know, some of these are also like, it's they're a little misleading because the Mets have a minor league reliever named Alex Sanabia. Shout out Alex if you listen. His comparison is R.A. Dickey. Oh man! But it's not. It's it's a pre-Mets <laughs> R.A. Dickey. You know, he was like oh, what, we're, a we're Ranger. Talking, we're talking Texas Ranger R.A. Dickey. Yeah, this is probably like two thousand. Like, um, 
I'm just looking at some of his early years that were trash. You're looking at a 120, 112 inning RA Dickey who put up a five two one ERA. Right. You know, had a one point two home runs per nine. He just simply was not good. Uh, no, no, but no. <laughs> I do think it kind of illuminates a bigger issue the Mets are going to face. That they're not high on Peterson and Fangraphs for all intents and purposes was right about most of the stuff they said last year. Right. They weren't big believers in the Braves or the Mets. And neither ended up being that good of teams. Despite the fact that Braves won the World Series. Right. But I mean the Braves lumbered through the first 120 games. Yeah, they never got and to they needed over 500 until mid August. Right. They needed their and they really got carried to the postseason and through the postseason by their deadline help. Right. You know, so that beginning of the year roster on paper that they rolled out in, in, in April, Fangraphs did not believe in, and they ended up being right about that. They needed to make drastic changes to the line, and they had to make defensive philosophy changes. Right. So they had to do all that. They weren't high on the Mets, and for good reason. You know, everyone was, everyone was sipping the Kool-Aid, saying they were going to win 90 games and run over the NL East. Mm-hmm. And Fangraphs uh, said they weren't going to, and they didn't. Yeah. But I do think it does illuminate a bigger issue that the Mets are going to need another power bat. You know, there's they project Mark Canna at 19 home runs, but Mark Canna didn't even slug 400 last year. Right. Well, he had a you very know, down you, second half last year. Right. And how much can you really, tr- how, how much faith are you really putting in Eduardo Escobar to damn near hit 30 home runs? Mm-hmm. You know, when he, he just, he hit 20 last year and City Field is a much better pitcher's park than Miller Park. If that's right, still the name. But he also spent the first uh the first half of that in Chase Field, which is one of the worst home run hitting parks in all of baseball. I think yeah. I think on Savant, they actually projected that if Eduardo Escobar spent the full year with the Mets, he would have had like 40, 41 homers. So the power output could very easily go up for Escobar. My thing is, I don't know if he's gonna get the 600 plate appearances he would need to get that kind of numbers output, because I do think he'll have some sort of time split at second base because I don't know who, but the Mets still need to make a move for a third baseman. Eduardo Escobar is a very nice addition for this team, but for me, he is not the starting third baseman of a world series caliber team. I mean, I think it depends on who you run out around him. I think he can be on an infield that has Alonzo projected to put up four and a half wins. Oh, for and sure. Lindor projected to put up. I, I think it all the like if you just, you know, I think if Jeff McNeil, has a 2018-2019-2020 Jeff McNeil season. Right. I think you can get away with him there. Right, where he's hitting two on his bad times, 280, and somehow hitting 25 homers. Yeah, you take that. Right, and to be fair, the slash line that they they project McNeil to hit an OPS over 800 next year. You know, his F4 was somewhere around a two. Mm -hmm. You know, the McNeil type of player who limits Ks, walks a good amount, and puts the ball in play, but doesn't hit a lot of home runs isn't going to garner a major F1, especially right. as a position like second base, where it's all relative compared to who's playing around you. But you got some absolute studs. For sure. I mean, you have an Ozzy Albies. Um, I mean, depending on how the Dodgers decide to use him, you have Corey Taylor. I mean, God forbid he hits his potential. You have a Gavin Lux. 
like there's Man. i mean i'm my brain's fried right now from classes but their second base position in baseball is a strong one yeah so it's i mean it is all relative yeah but if, yeah, if, it's, if it's gotten a lot stronger recently if mcneil hits, hits 280 next year who's going to complain not a not soul me. should no not me but i just think it does you know i pointed out on my twitter account you know, Cruz and Schwarber are both projected to hit around over 30 home runs. Chris Bryant around 25. I mean, they need to add some pop to the lineup. I mean, Robinson Cano, God bless your soul, dude. You're projected to hit eight home runs. And projections aren't everything, but they're something. For sure. Like, because they're, I promise they're... you the Mets have their own set of projections right now that they have for their own guys going into next year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we all said it before. Oh man, like it's feel like they're still missing a bat, but I don't think you can roll into a year where, for all intents and purposes, the division is still going to be wide open. Wide open. The only team really making moves out here is the Florida goddamn Marlins. <laughs> but if that's what's really going on. It, you know, being a wide open division, you've only made minimal increases on your offense. I mean, you lost some serious power by letting Conforto walk. For sure. And you replace that, granted, with Marcana who a fine player, but he's not in the same, on the same level. He might be, a, a, he's a clear level, if not two below a Conforto. I'd say, and yeah, you, I'd say on, he's on the high level below Conforto. Right. Yeah. And then you add a, a Marte. It's not still not the same type of power. He brings his own different skill set, but that's more so replacing a Dom Smith. And it, listen, and that's, that's a clear cut upgrade. Both Canna and Marte are clear-cut upgrades of Dom Smith, even if you are big Dom Smith fans and you think he's going to be on the on the bounce-back train. What he can bring to the table and what he can bring to the Mets still is lesser than what Marcana and Starlin Marte can bring to this team. I think there's definitely – I think there's a, a semi-realistic world next year where Marcana's second half is a lot more truer to who he was than his first half. You know, the struggles are real. And that Dom Smith can't have a bounce back year. But I just, I don't think you can really roll into next year with either of them penciled in for 500, 600 at bats. I think that's fair. I mean, I think you definitely, I mean, even if they don't get a DH, you can still go out and nab a Kyle Schwarber. That was going to lead into my next question. Strides, he's, he's made defensive strides enough that it's a respectable right field or he left field, wherever a, you decide to put him. And he's got a great arm. He's got a cannon. He's going to hit you a minimal, a minimum of thirty home runs. I don't. I know numbers don't believe in stuff like this. But now you don't have to play him as much. I was just going to say that More, the the biggest thing about signing Kyle Schwarber is that you don't have to play Kyle Schwarber however many times you're going to have to because you know and for this, a fact whoever whoever signs him whenever they play the Mets slot him at leadoff. It's going to be a, a, a leadoff tank. Right. And he's going to hit five I, home runs in that series. And I can tell you before the lockout, when all the frenzy and moves happened, Schwarber had heard from the Marlins, the Phillies, and the Braves. If the Phillies sign Kyle Schwarber, I will not be pleased. You're, you're going to have – there's going to be videos of Taiwan Walker giving up back-to-back bombs to Harper and Schwarber. Mm-hmm. I can promise you that. No offense, Taiwan, but – Listen, it, it's – there's going to be a game where the Mets are up – seven to two in the seventh inning whoever's pitching miguel cash or whoever it might be is going to give up 
back to back to back to back home runs one day to Schwarber, Bryce Harper, Reese Hoskins, and JT Real Muto. It is just an absolute fact. It's not just a fact. It's a goddamn nightmare because you're picturing it right now. I could see it in your face. <laughs> you just know for a fact it's going to happen. Schwarber and Harper are going to hit balls that are going to land in my backyard thousands of feet away from Citizens Bank Park. And then Reese Hoskins is going to hit a bomb to left field and Real Muto is going to hit a second row tank opposite field to right field. It's just, it's just going to happen. And next thing you know, that five run lead is now a one run lead and we'll somehow blow that too. And I think going off that, that further, that also further illustrates their need to still work in the bullpen. For sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I think you clearly have some solid back end. I mean, you have a good closer in Diaz. May was solid last year. Lugo yes. is still good. Castro yes. is good. I think you have something in Drew Smith. I mean, you can make – I think you can make a solid case if you're rounding out your bullpen with the seventh and the eighth spots. You can – sure, you can pencil in Sean Reed Foley or Jake Reed for those spots in April. Yeah. Because the easiest, the easiest thing to, to change and to move around is the bullpen. Yeah. You know, it's not hard as you said, that. it's so volatile. Right. And, you know, you're going to have random guys that put up great numbers in AAA. Like the year Hansel Robles came up, I don't think anyone really knew who Hansel Robles was. Right. You know, 2015, the Mets' best reliever was after Yuri's Familia was Addison Reed. Stud. Right. And they got him for nothing. But at the same time, they also brought in Eric O'Flaherty, who stunk up the joint. He was horrible. Right. But so, I mean, they're going to make moves for the bullpen regardless. But even like we saw last year, you can pencil in a guy like a Jacob Barnes for your eighth spot. Hmm. It's not a big deal. So yeah. if you pencil in a Jake Reed, just to, yeah. right against like you of those final, I mean, as constructed, you have probably Diaz, May, Lugo, Castro, a step down, then you have a Drew Smith. A step mm-hmm. down, they are probably looking at Reed Foley, Reed, and Diaz. Right. I don't think I'm missing anyone. No, you know, I think maybe you're... like a Heath Hembry if you bring him back, a, 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 a Brad Hand if you bring him back. Yeah. And then you're but looking those guys at the, are in... the possible options of putting in, like, uh, depending on how they, they construct the a rotation, a Peterson or like a McGill for sure. But so, I mean, I think you probably want to add some another person either the back end of the top tier or the Drew Smith tier at the least. Oh, yeah. Because it's, 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 it does not inspire confidence. You know, their bench right now I could live with if you roll out next year and you're really looking at Guillaume, Dom, Shady, Nito, and one of Khalil Lee or Nick Plummer. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I can live with that. It's not great but the bench is something you can address in season, you know, and those are young guys with options. So you're not really like hammered into, yeah, you know, the major league contracts of a Pilar and stuff like that. So, you know, I mean, you'd like to see them bring in another decent bat off the bench. Cause you know, if you don't have a bounce back from Dom, he's now a bat first bench player with no bat. You know, you know, JD is going to hit, but he's a defensive liability. Both Plummer mm-hmm. and Lee can play defense. You kind of you do question the bat, and for good reason. You know, so you can translate at the major league level. Nito is what he is. He's an above average backup catcher. 
Mm-hmm. And Guillaume is what he is. He can't hit for much, but he's got a good eye. He's going to work at bats and he plays great defense. Phenomenal defense. You know, so I think, you know, you, I, I think you can live with that bench. You might mm-hmm. want to see them add a bat to it. I, I want some more pop off the bench. Yeah, I mean, like, you have guys with like JD and Dom who have like regular season, you know, they had 20 homer potential as starters. I think, you know, Dom's 2020. There will always be, you know, he real world, real season, he puts up, he passes 20 home runs before the All Star break, probably. Right. But it's looking more like that year was an outlier than. And I just, I do think there's also is that somewhat mental capacity to it of some people just don't have the mental side to be able to be a starter and run out there every day. For sure. Yeah, it, you know, it takes I, a toll to, to start 140, 150 games. Yeah, and you know, there, there was a Red Sox catcher in the mid-2000s, a backup, I forget his name, slipping me, but you know, he said the best thing that ever happened to his career was nobody wanted him to be a starter and everyone wanted him to be a backup. Because he was a really good backup and he always felt like overexposure was going to ruin his career. Is that Salt Lamachia? No, 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 no. Like 2000, 2000. Oh, like early? Like probably like like when Beltron and Delgado were Mets. Okay. Like yeah, I, I couldn't years. tell you the, I couldn't tell you the Red Sox roster he, at that point. He ruined his own career. Yeah. But, you know, you have, there is that like mental side to it. And then you hope J.D. Davis has a full healthy season. You know, maybe there is a world where like you come into camp and you go and start into the early parts of the season and J.D.'s kind of back to 2019, 2020 J.D. Mm-hmm. He's a full healthy season under him. I think that's why he's the one guy if you're looking at, like, the Petersons, I'm going to keep McNeil out of the conversation just because he's, he's his own separate, you know, his own separate conversation. I agree. You know, the guys I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna name were never, like, all-stars or seen as, you know, up-and-coming stars. Mm-hmm. But you look at the Peterson, you know, Dom, JD, you kind of question, like, all right, keep them, move on, you know, stash them in AAA. You know, what do you do? JD's probably your best bet at a bounce-back year. You know, Dom, you saw clear struggles and you saw some swing issues. Peterson can't stay healthy. Even when he was healthy, he flashed. You know, his game in Tampa was dominant. Mm-hmm. But he also got obliterated by the Orioles and the Diamondbacks. And, he, yeah. and his 2020 was not as good as the numbers, as the baseball card numbers show. Before he got hurt, he, he, str- he struggled into. mightily on the road. Right, but you can't really – you know, aside from the injuries, there's not much you can really chalk up to JD last year that wasn't something we didn't already know. We always knew he sucks defensively. You knew he struggled with fastballs upstairs. And you knew he was going to struggle more against right-handed pitching and left-handed pitching. For sure. That's, that, that's, that's the book on him. Yeah. That's the book. But, you know, if, I think you get, get him to a place where that hand is fully healthy, he probably could still go out there and put up offensively put up starting third baseman numbers, but struggle defensively. You know, maybe slide, you know, you have that 2019 role of Dom Smith that people like to throw out a lot. You know, a 400 at bat platoon guy. And maybe you try and slide JD into something like that because I don't think you're going to be able to live in a world where you can run Mark Canna out there every day. No, I don't think you can. Especially if, like you said, if what we saw in the second half from last year falls into this year and becomes more of what Marcana really is, I think is a great signing, but you can't justify playing him 
for 500, 600 plate appearances. You just can't do that. If someone's hitting 225, it doesn't matter how, how much you're getting on base. It's tough to justify playing that every day, day in, day out. You're going to need someone to provide a little bit more offensively, especially because and we, I think we all know what I think about J.D. Davis. I, I'd trade him for half a bag of peanuts, but he provides more offensive value than Marcana more often than not. Yeah. And I just think the bigger picture issue is that you're still, you know, the Mets season last year, you were really hoping on a lot of guys, you know, bouncing back or, you know, keeping up after breakout seasons or staying healthy. I think you're kind of looking at that. You're, you're looking down that road again this year. Mm-hmm. Like you're hoping you get a full season from the ground. You know, is two is two fully healthy seasons in a row too much to ask from Taiwan Walker? Right. You know, you're hoping for an, a full healthy season from Carlos Carrasco. You know, you you're hoping Dom bounces back. You're hoping Canada's second half struggles aren't really who he was. Mm-hmm. You're hoping for a healthy Nima. You know, you're hoping for a bounce back from McCann, a bounce back from Lindor, a bounce back from McNeil. You know, there's a lot of there's not a lot of certainties in this month's lineup right now. Obviously not every single one of them is going to go south, but <laughs> you know, at the same time, there are a lot of hopes and busts. you know, and some of them are a little bit easier to kind of swallow than other others. You know, it's not like Jacob DeGrom's, you know, like a 2018 Matt Harvey in terms of level of health, but you know, you gotta, gotta, you kind of have to English. You kind of have to wonder you know, the dude's 30-something. He's had Tommy John. Has he had Tommy John? Yeah. Yeah, he's had Tommy John. He's throwing 102 miles per hour every pitch. Is that, like, is he about to blow out his elbow again? You know, Man, I, I hope hasn't not. Put a, I think we all hope not. <laughs> you know, you have, yeah. You know, like, Carrasco hasn't given, hasn't, hasn't given a full 162 in, like, three years now. Right. You know, even even a guy like a Miguel Castro or Drew Smith, even Drew Smith, like you can, you can see where he can be a key to the team if he's healthy. But he can't stay on the field for a month. But can he stay on the field? You know, there's just, I still think there's a lot of questions. Oh, I think there is so many questions. And again, kind of going back to what I said before, as a Mets fan, you have to be happy with what the Mets have done on every aspect of the organization so far this season and so far this offseason, I should say. But like you said, there's a lot of question marks. You pretty much said everyone besides Alonzo and Nimmo needs to have bounce back seasons. And with Nimmo, it's just stay healthy. There's no real concerns about Pete. We know what he is. Guy's a stud. He's going to hit 260. He's going to hit 40 tanks. He's going to drive in 115. Guy's an absolute friggin' monster. But besides that, there's no certainties. I think your only, I think your real certainties right now, offensively, are Marte, Escobar, Alonzo, and Nemo when he's healthy. I mean, okay, I'll throw Lindor in there because his. I think yeah. Once he got once he got healthy down the stretch, he was a lot closer to his career numbers, if not better. He was back to being a top five shortstop in baseball. Right. So you got Lindor, you have Alonzo, you have Escobar. I actually and look back for, for good, bad, or indifference. You know what James McCann is. <laughs> I actually look back at, at, at some of the numbers on Lindor just because he was people were talking about Lindor on Twitter. So I, I just I went into his fan graphs numbers. 
there were two major league shortstops that played 130 games or less and put up 20 plus homers. Francisco Lindor, Fernando Tatis. It's a pretty, it's a pretty good list right there. So if yeah, you can get no, a I full mean, 160 out of them, you could very easily put up 28, 30 home runs again. The only ones who don't believe in Lindor are casual fans. Or racists. You get those a lot too. Or maybe like a casual racist. <laughs> hey, I go to a liberal arts school. You learn about all types of racists. I'm sure there's plenty of them. They, they, they categorize them now, which almost feels kind of racist. <laughs> Categorizing people who categorize. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think you're wrong there. No, I don't think I'm wrong at all. No. Uh, trust me, I've, I've sat in those classes for semesters <laughs> on end. It's whatever, man. They should all yeah. sit down and play the tuba. I really have uh, something against the tuba. That, that really got it. me, man. People who play in third base should be playing the tuba. That, that sent me, dude. Oh, Best man. Best slash worst advice I ever got playing Little League High School Baseball. Just the coach looked at, just looked at all of us and said, some of you should not be here and need to go find a new hobby. Man, I remember when I was a kid, I played first base. And one of my very good friends on the team actually played third base. Man, I, I hope he's doing well. No offense to the kid. By no means should have been playing third base. And every time I, I, I still I, – I have nightmares about it. He would get the ball, and instead of throwing it right to me, he would throw it like straight up into the air, and every time I'd lose it in the sun. I'm nine years old, dude. Hit me in the chest. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not fighting the sun. You're, did your parents not believe in sunglasses or something? It wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have mattered. Fair enough. Plus, I, I, had, to wear, I had to wear the good old spectacles, and I don't, I don't think – I don't think oh, I yeah, for those of you who don't know about Anthony and his vision issues. <laughs> I'm blind as a bat. Yeah. See, it's just, the kid with the spectacles is Anthony. You've grown into Antonio now. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Speaking of um, spectacles. We... Speaking of spectacles. That's right. We have one more ordinary business to talk about. Old Timers Day. Old Timers Day. Well, who do you want to be, for... to be run out there for, for all timers? Like, oh, yeah, congrats to Keith and Anderson getting his number retired on a Saturday. I'll be there. I have the tickets already for, for my for my season plan. Very much looking forward to it, Keith. You, you deserve it. We'll talk about all this. Am, am I giving you a, like a Mets, a Mets legend lineup? Well, you don't have to give me a full nine. Just who are some I, of the I guys you, you want to see? Nine. Yeah. All right. right. I'm, I'm, start, all right, I'm starting Nelson Figueroa. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going with your guy Laduca behind the plate because I know Omir Santos isn't available. He's probably not. Ramon Castro. No, he he runs a um he runs a youth baseball academy either Florida or Puerto Rico. I played him in some tournament a couple years ago. That's pretty sick. Sadly, they're not called Omir's Oh Miracles, but it's horrible. At first base, I think I'm throwing out Mike Jacobs. Wow. Danny Munoz at second. Gotta, you got to give me Ruben Tejada short. Have to. Actually, no. I'm putting him at third. Uh, give me Jack Reinheimer at shortstop. Oh, yeah. Um, so we're going legends hmm. here. 
We're going. We're just doing I'll the Mets you... selections Twitter page here. Gotta rob yourself for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love Rob. Uh, I'll put Can Colin get... Cowgill in center field. Not you know. I'll put Angel Pagan in center. I'll give you a real. He was gonna get Blastings Millage in left field. I don't know. Is he gonna go and start high fiving the other old timers? Of course he will. All right. Awesome. And then right oh, field, need, Fernando then, Martinez. Uh, I don't know. I might put Fernando Tatis out there. It's true. Try and have him convince his son to come to Queens. As a, as a right fielder. A, I mean, shit, man. At that point, <laughs> 13 <laughs> years, Fernando Tatis might be playing right field. <laughs> you might play in first base. Uh, closing, closing games, I have Frank Francisco. Oh, my God. That's not where I thought you were going to go with man, that. My setup man is Eric O'Flaherty. Not Aaron Hyde. Actually, no, Bobby Parnell post Tommy John. See, that's where I thought you were going for the closer. Like, give me post Tommy John, Bobby Parnell coming in pumping 92. How about, uh, what's the guy's name? Braden Looper. Oh, sweet shit. <laughs> uh, actually, no, give me Henry Mejia just for the stomp. Mm, the backbreaker, whatever the hell he called it. You know, the weird. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I have to say, for like we the first week or so, episodes. for the first week or so, I thought that was the coolest thing. And then he started oh, to dude, suck I was like, and get like one save per week. I was like, all right, you, can, you need to stop. Dude, I was like 12. Yeah. It was so cool. Oh, when, yeah. he, when he did the one against the Nationals. Yeah. It's because the Nationals would beat them at City Field like 14 straight games. <laughs> yeah, like the fucking Broncos and Chiefs. Oh. I'll give the Broncos credit. The Mets, when they suck, they just suck. They're bad. The Broncos have lost three games this year where I'm just like, if Melvin Gordon holds on to the football. <laughs> I mean, and I love Melvin Gordon, too. I think he's still really good, but holy hell, dude. Yep. They There's two separate games that I feel like they win if Melvin Gordon holds on to the football. They're 9-8, and, and, eight, and I think that puts them in the playoffs. There are two separate Melvin Gordons. Eight, was, was Pittsburgh eight, eight, and one? I, I think so. Yeah, nine and eight puts Denver in the playoffs. So exactly. If he holds on right to now. the football against the Eagles, they have they would have had back to back stops against. Oh, they were um, nine, seven, and one. They're oh okay, never mind. They big difference, but even then, maybe they play a better game against the Raiders. I don't know, man. You want to talk football? Right here's, now, here's, here's I'm my... more than that to talk about football. Joe Judge here... is gone. Dave Gettleman. I, I want to say something. I want to say something about John Mara, you absolute clown show of a human being. There, in what, in what realm does Dave Gettleman deserve the right to peacefully and ceremoniously retire? The man was taking pictures with his family and friends on the field before the last game. What did he do to deserve that? He didn't give his organization anything. He sucked for the for the four years he was here. I said it since freaking day one. It was a horrible hire. The guy sucks. He's a clown. He's a joke. He was the worst GM in potentially NFL history while, for the time that he was here. What did he do to, to deserve a retirement? Jerry Reese got fired after winning you two Super Bowls. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just... I'm just happy Gettleman's gone. Judge is gone. 
I can move on and someone be a little bit happier. I think Joe Judge is a good head coach. I think he's a good guy. He can, he's proven he can be a good leader. I'm you know, the you. gesture that he the gesture he made where he they gave they handed out bonuses to all the kitchen staff and he had the players come and do it, some players come and do it with him. He's a good guy who knows how to lead men, I think. But I think John Mara said it best himself. There is a good head coach inside Joe Judge, but nobody's winning with that play calling. No. Nobody's winning with that cap hell. No, no. I mean, realistically, I mean, I'll liken it to this. When You're this talking thing, about Joe when, Judge. When, yeah. When, when Vance Joseph left the Broncos, that was a team with no quarterback, no direction. They were in ownership hell. They were in cap hell. No O-line, no D-line. Some receivers. And it was just a mess. Like, Vic Fangio, for all intents and purposes, did his job up until the final year. Until the, even really the final five or six games. Yeah. He brought them out of the gutter. He kept the defense intact, helped them build the defense and the strong defensive identity. You know, they were one of the worst pass rush teams in football this year, but that happens when, you know, you have Vaughn Miller, but then he gets hurt. Bradley Chubb gets hurt. Then you trade Vaughn Miller, you know, and your best pass rusher is Jonathan Cooper and Malik Reed, you know, and the ghost of Stephen Weatherly. <laughs> but, you know, Vance Joseph, up until he got them to six and five, did his job. It sucks they went one and five down the stretch, and it's going to happen. Yeah. In the end, if you, if, you can't, if you can't beat the Chiefs, you're going to lose your job. You know, Kansas City and Denver might be a lot like on a little bit of a smaller scale, Michigan State and Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Or Michigan and Ohio State and, you know, CFB. You know, if you go an extended period of time, you prove you just can't beat the other one, you're not going to be around for much longer. Especially when you reasonably both could be good at the same time. Yeah, like someone, some like yesterday, I was talking to one of my friends. He goes, "So, how would you feel if uh, if the Giants hired uh, Matt Nagy? I'm like it's better than Joe Judge, bring along, <laughs> why not?" I mean, here's the thing: is you're you're gonna have to try and find a coach, and ultimately, I think if you're bring, trying to bring in a new GM, having a vacancy at head coach is fine. Mm. You know, because it just makes it more attractive. Yeah, but you know, you're gonna be in cap hell. You're going to have it's some like, appealing picks, is, but you have an over... fictional at this point, but it's still like you have $200,000 in cap space. Yeah, it's hard. What are you doing with that? Nothing. Unless you get someone to take on, you know, Kenny Galladay. That's never going to happen. But, you know, you're going to have – no, it won't. But you're going to need – I mean, assuming – I'll assume they give Daniel Jones one more year. Yeah. Just because they're almost going to have to. I'd be shocked. Because you just financially, you're not going to be able to bring another quarterback unless you're running out like Kellen Mond. But you need to get some damn competition for him. He needs to like he can't just no maybe maybe waltz into maybe, year maybe four. You do. I mean, they have two firsts in this. They're held an early second. Maybe at your second round pick, you go you go out and you snag Malik Willis right. or Matt Corral. I don't think Corral drops that far. No, so you go and you bring in a high end quarterback just to give him some run. Yeah. Because yeah. you can't I mean, like, like what, what veteran are you be able to get to come in and compete with Daniel Jones? Hell, sign a Mitch Trubisky. Sign someone to make this guy feel some damn pressure. Because he's not going to be looking, concerned looking, with Mike Lennon as his backup. No, but, but you're also looking at a quarterback market where Teddy Bridgewater is going to ask for $20 million a year. Right. And, and like, here, the, here's, my problem with the, here's the problem with the Giants. When you look at the roster – if you look at the 52-man roster, it is awful. I I strongly disagree with that. 
But here's the thing. You look at the roster and if there's probably what three players that you say, okay, moving forward, I definitely want these three guys. You want Andrew Thomas, you want uh, Aziz Ojolari, and you want Xavier McKinney. Other than that, I think you want... there are 49 expendable players. Um, I disagree. I think you want Kadarius Tony. He, what is he, he hasn't shown anything. He's shown flashes. Well, yeah, but... you can't. It's hard to throw. It's hard to show stuff when you have arguably the worst play calling in football. Right. So I, I'm not saying and like definitely, still, definitely all, get rid of him, but like purposes, you could bring him back. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd say you bring him back. I mean, it's hard to really fault Kenny Galladay. Partially, you can. I mean, but... you. Yeah. Sure, but he's still. Good. It's not all his fault. It's not all his fault. No, and I think they're still somewhat. I think they have talent. They remind me a lot of where the Broncos again, where the Broncos were under Vance Joseph. Mm-hmm. Like, there's clearly some. There's clearly guys where you look at them and you're like, all right, you you can play. You know what it takes. Right. But the guys in the back ends, your second depth and your third depth are just so bad. And you're playing a sport where you need strong second and third depth. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, but like, you're gonna have to find a GM to come in and clear and clear clear you out of cap hell, where you have right. You know, the the highest profile draft pick you've made in a long time is a running back who can't stay on the field. Yeah. I mean, I saw it today again. Like, if you go back and you just do that pick over, even if you just take Sam Darnold, you're probably that's the same class, right? Yeah. You're probably in a better spot. I think anyone else you could have taken aside from Josh Rosen, you're probably in a better spot. Because I do think Darnold still is a decent quarterback. But obviously that the system in in Carolina's not gonna work. The system in New York wasn't working. Mm-hmm. You know, it's tough for any it was tough for any quarterback to develop under Adam Gase. And then you go and you shut you, you give him a rookie OC and Joe Brady. A second, or a second year OC and a second year head coach in that rule. It's clearly it's not going to work. Yeah, who a second year head coach where the owner is already saying that he has buyer's remorse on him. Right. It was clearly just never going to work from the jump. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I do think if the Giants take Darnold, he's probably a viable starter. I even think Jones, to a respect, is a viable. Is, he's, I think he's a starting caliber NFL quarterback. Maybe you know, obviously not a top tier or second tier. Maybe not even. Maybe he's somewhere in the third tier. Just not in New York. But I don't think he's that far off from a Teddy Bridgewater. In terms of the obviously totally different styles of quarterbacking, since Jones, they since Teddy doesn't want to throw the ball over twenty five yards, that's all Jones is good at. Yeah, but it's also it's I think it's hard to expect him to be good. And you have big playmaking. I think for all intents and purposes, Kenny Galladay is a playmaking wide receiver. Yeah, yeah. But if your offense doesn't open up more than twenty five yards of play. And you're trying to quote unquote establish a run game with a running back who can't stay healthy and Devontae goddamn Booker. <laughs> Devontae Booker, who was better than Saquon this year. That's, and I'm telling that's you, as a, a problem. As a Broncos fan, Devontae Booker. I mean, it's just, it's, you're, it, I think you're going to be hard unless you go and you get like a Lovey Smith or a Doug Peterson. Let's say wow, Peterson Lovey tanks Smith. his interviews. That's, I haven't thought of the name Lovey Smith in probably 10 years. Yeah, I mean, maybe not a Lovey Smith or maybe like a Jim Caldwell instead. Right. I'm just thinking you're going to have to try and find veteran coaches who might want to get – God, is Lovey Smith still the head coach at Illinois? 
Is he? No, I think they moved on from him. Or he moved on from them. Is he with the Texans? Associate head coach and defensive coordinator for the Houston Texans. Since when? I guess since last year. By the way, can we can we talk for a second? Davis Mills is a good quarterback. I mean, we joked about him for the first couple of weeks that he started, but then he turned out to be you want to talk about viable starters. He was a viable starter. No, that was stability with a very bad team. I mean, I think you're having problems that every time you flip over, they're handing off the ball to Rex Burkhead. Yeah. In 2022. But no, I mean, hey, if you're the if you're the Giants, are you going to take a swing at Deshaun Watson, Devontae Booker? Yes. Not Devontae Booker, Davis Mills. Deshaun Watson, yes. I said this. I, to, think, I said this to one of my friends Deshaun, yesterday. If he can avoid going to Alcatraz, yeah, I'm taking a shot on Deshaun Watson. I think if he, I think if if, uh, if Brian Flores goes somewhere without a quarterback right now, I think Deshaun goes with him. I think you have All, to. If, I'm telling you right now, if Brian Flores gets a job in Denver, Deshaun Watson is their opening day quarterback next year. Yes, I think I think wherever Flores goes, there is a, a at least a 50 to 60 percent chance that Deshaun Watson follows. Because by all, all accounts and all reports, one of the very big reasons why Watson wanted to go to Miami was because of Brian Flores. So if he goes to I think unless Denver, he goes to Chicago, Chicago, New York, wherever it may be, I just I disagree on Chicago. I oh, think well, Chicago, yeah, because they have, they have fields. They have fields. He's a stud. But I think if Flores goes to Chicago, he goes with him. Maybe I think aside from Jacksonville and Chicago, anywhere he yes. goes, he goes. I think even Minnesota, if if you bring in Brian, Brian Flores, but the one caveat is you got to move on from Cousins and transition to to Watson. I think you do that. Who's taking that thirty million dollar hit though? On, on He's only Cousins. got like one year at Denver. True. <laughs> Kurt Cousins is the of the tier of quarterback True. with Jimmy Garoppolo's and all those. Shout out your sister of all the quarterbacks <laughs> who are game managers and who are really good with really good weapons. I think Kirk Cousins is the top of that list. Yeah, very easily could be. I would love to see him in Denver. Because Cousins could actually say what you want about him. The dude could sling it still. He'll be able to sling it for a bunch more years. Yeah. But yeah. All right, I mean, so we're going to should... get, get a coaching staff soon. Yeah. The CBA meetings tomorrow. CBA meeting is tomorrow. I I'm not expecting much, but just give us some progress. Hey, any dialogue is good dialogue, in my opinion. I agree. And I uh, hope this puts yeah. this. I hope this just means there's a, there's a little urgency to just get something going. I think there has to be. There has to be because it, it's getting very close to the point. I think we're we have about a month, about a month, a month or so left before. Yeah, before it's like okay, if we don't get something done now, we're gonna risk the possibility of of canceling games and i do not think baseball wants that i don't think the owners want that i don't think the players want that i don't think anyone wants that so i think i think they'd be willing they have to have about a month yeah and i think there's maybe a world where they take cuts on like two weeks of spring training games right but they don't want to cut into the regular season what i mean spring training oh, games not, whatever not uh, that let's be honest no one gives a damn about spring training games not even the players all right hey i live in florida i make those trips to port st Lucie. 
I congratulations. Have, <laughs> I have a Mickey Calloway autograph from Port St. Lucie. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm me? sorry to hear he that. Was, he wasn't the nicest to me. You said like, like that's a good thing. It's, it's on the same hat as a Nat Harvey autograph. So. Oh, boy. Oh, for two. What's wrong with Harvey? Uh, later, Ed Harvey was bad. Yeah, but he's still a good guy. Sansa Coke. <laughs> and the Julian Nettleman thing. Sansa Coke. Besides a drug problem, he's a stand-up guy. Bro, you could say that about, like, so many people. Yeah. I had a coworker say that to me the other day when Bob Saget died. I was like, hey, man, she Bob Saget died? He was like, I mean, aside from the small Coke addiction, that sucks. <laughs> I was like, fuck, Taylor. <laughs> That's awful. Uh, well, on that note, well, we should end let's this Let's go next with Bob Saget. <laughs> I'm All just going to bypass the final thoughts. My final thoughts, let's go Mets, rip Bob Saget. Some of you should stick to the tuba. And Betty White. Betty White shouldn't stick to the tuba. That'd be pretty no. hard to do when she's dead. Well, I'm, I'm but, saying RIP, Bob Saget, and Betty White. Oh, right. Yeah. And no, if anyone out there plays the tuba, don't take it personally. Godspeed. You just, you, Best you, of luck. You play a stupid instrument. You get that first chair. As someone who is sitting mere feet from his middle school saxophone, Go get that first chair. Go get the All-State Symphonic Band. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. We'll Let's see you guys next baby. time. LFGM.